Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to the Art of War podcast. I'm your host, John Damaris, and luckily for you guys, we have the one and only Tony Kopak joining us to talk about all things points-related in the new ninth edition. Joining me as always is the one and only Nick Nanavati. Uh, he's going to help us break down this discussion, adding his insight from his years and years of competitive play and all of his success. Uh, Nick, why don't you go ahead, introduce Tony, let everyone know a little bit about him, and then we'll get into our first questions and start talking about Ninth edition and the new points releases. Sure thing. So Tony, or as I like to call him Paul, is actually one of my best friends. And we've been playing 40K since the good old days. Um, he was the first person to ever win the Nova Open at the very first one, and then won it three times in a row, along with Adepticon. Um, he's won the ETC with me on Team America. He's been around the block a few times. Also, his real name is Paul. His name is actually Paul Anthony Kopak. He just goes by Tony. No one knows this, but I think it's my civil duty to let everyone know. So anyways, Paul, introduce yourself. Well, how can I really follow that up, Nick? You just added me on a whole podcast. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I think you covered it pretty well. Uh, I've been playing for a long time at this point. I've been uh, heavily involved in 40K since I was probably about... 10 at this point um and i've been playtesting for games workshop for about four years now as well so wow that's that a lot didn't even realize it was that long <laughs> yeah it, it, it snuck up on me too i was like holy it's been it's been about four years now we've uh been running yeah. through this whole thing so paul has been uh, around the block on the playtesting circuit and we can't get into too many details on how that all works and whatnot but we are here to get his thoughts on the new point values. And then in part two, we're going to discuss his opinions on how Admech, who got a lot of price hikes along with many other factions, are going to adapt uh, to the new and incoming ninth edition. So I guess let's just start anywhere with the new points. <laughs> well, let me let me ask a question first, Tony. Um, do you what do you think about the new points? Like, was there a you, you think that uh there was like a general percentage they were aiming for, or is it more model by model that they kind of went by and made their decisions? Uh, so, I mean, I think, I think from, it's been, it's been making the rounds now since everyone's NDA was lifted. And I think everyone can kind of take a look at it and see, form their own opinion on it. But like, it looks fairly obvious. It was uh, like a percentage increase in most cases. Uh, almost nothing got completely left behind. So in general, it looked like the, you know, the goal was just the reduced model count and, uh, raise the points of the game, like they had said, and it's kind of what that's what they delivered essentially. Gotcha. So, like, when they're like, uh, everything is going up like ten percent. So, like, where? Why was the line ten percent or twenty percent or whatever? But different for certain units. My my example is like guards went one from four to five, cultists went from four to six. Like, why? Why is there a difference there? Uh, so, like, as, as far as my impression on why there would be a difference is is most likely. Uh, going back to like an internal balance within the books, um, something like Guardsmen is more of like the core of the army, whereas something like Cultists and a Chaos Marine army would be, uh, you know, like not really what would be incentivized to be like the main backbone of the army. Um, so if I would to guess on that one, they would be 
it would be more um, more internal balance for the books rather than cross game balance. Yeah, that makes sense. I guess also this is something I've noticed about Games Workshops. They are trying to point ninth edition uh, and, and kind of with the rule site too. You can see in what they've shown us so far. Um, they're trying to create the game the way they want the game to be created. Like they don't want Cut Chaos to be two hundred cultists, but they don't mind if Guard is like a hundred guardsmen because like. That's right. just kind of what the IP, the idea behind what a guard army and what a chaos army and whatever would be. Yeah, and I, I think I think that's uh, that's kind of came through an eighth in a couple different places. If it, if something was kind of out of uh, like out of whack or if it looked just kind of weird to put on the table, um, a lot of the stuff got corrected. I would say over the course of the edition, um, you know, like they do want to you know, like it's a it's a game of you know armies in the far future, so they kind of want it to look like that. So if it doesn't, you know, fit with the factions, if it doesn't, you know, quite line up. Right. Uh, like they don't want chaos and guard. Like they don't want cult spam to just be a chaos version of, of guard. Like they want that to be their own. Yeah. Guard. Like all, all the armies should have their own unique play styles, their own, you know, clear identifiers. So stuff like that. Like, I mean, as far as explaining some of the points increases and the kind of the unevenness in places, I would say uh, it does depend on the faction and like the, you know, kind of relative place they should be in the army. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that that clears up some questions. I know a lot of people are like they feel like the games workshop just kind of threw darts and saw what happened. But I think when you put it in that perspective, that's about like the army's playing the way they should in the eyes of the games workshop. Of course, that's mm-hmm. uh, it makes a lot more sense. What do you think, John? Uh, no, I agree with that one hundred percent. Right. Um, one of the things that I'm kind of curious about is uh, from a from a points perspective. Do you feel like, just as a general rule, that they hit the mark? Like, do you do you feel like the game is going to be in a pretty balanced place when we start out? And we can get into details about a lot of the different stuff, right, mm-hmm. um, as we go along. But I'm kind of curious your perspective being a playtester, because you've probably played more games at those point levels than we have. Yeah. Um, so like, what I would say as far as just just the like kind of back up before we get into like the you know how accurate or not the points are, I I would just recommend to everyone that you uh you know you look at this as like a fresh starting place almost like the launch of a uh launch of eighth was with almost like an index reset look at it as a reset um i would look at it like completely with fresh eyes i wouldn't you know kind of like drag your army over even though they're like the the rule sets are similar enough to do so um i wouldn't kind of approach this edition with that mindset of like oh this got nerfed into oblivion like this didn't change it's useless still I, i would look at everything from a fresh perspective just completely reevaluate everything um starting from scratch and then you know move from there and build off of it just yeah that actually makes the- perfect sense i was teaching literally the same exact advice in uh, our meta monday session today in the war room mm-hmm. well and, and i mean i think west out there it's it's worth pointing out that the relative value of a lot of units changed just based on the rules changes so for example missions are completely different they're completely different you're not really focused on how much you can kill. You're more focused on existing in certain places or having the mobility to get to certain places. Like that has, I mean, that always had value in 40K, don't get me wrong. But mm-hmm. it seems like in the new missions, things that are durable and, and like might survive a turn uh, to be at the, be on the, be on an objective at the start of your turn is going to have tremendous value for your army, right? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean like, you know, like 50% or more of your points are coming from literally standing, standing in the right place with units. Uh, so, like, you know, controlling objectives, controlling the board is more important than ever, I would say. I see a lot of players, especially other players, just gravitating towards, like, 
nine warwalkers, nine vipers, like three night spinners. And it's like, I don't think this is going to work at all, to be honest. You need to just have a different approach to 40k to play ninth edition compared to eighth. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think that's part of the fun, right? Uh, when you when you get towards the tail end of an edition, you know, and a lot more solved and a lot more, uh, you know, hammered out. When you have an edition reset like this, especially with, you know, a complete overhaul on points like we got, it really is kind of the Wild West of 40k where people get to try everything out again, essentially, and start seeing what, what fits, what's clicking, you know, what the best strategies are. So... Yeah, I mean, just today I was writing a tier list with nine pyrovores and three Tyrant effects. Like, I don't think that's ever been a sentence in the history of the world. I don't know. I feel like you probably tried to jam pyrovores into a lot of lists before. And well, <laughs> in spirit, we're not going to talk about those. <laughs> one, of the, one of the things I just want to touch on this really quick that I'm really excited about is the fun in 40k. There's a lot of a lot of components to it, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. for some people it's building the models, for some people it's the lore. But from a competitive standpoint, for some people, winning is the fun. But for other, for a lot of people like me, the fun is the exploration, like coming mm-hmm. up with your own ideas, formulating them, honing them, seeing how competitive you can be with them. And when you have a new edition like this with new mission set, like everything's now on the table to try and explore and think about where towards the end of an edition, just like sort of like you said, Tony, it was sort of solved in a lot of ways. There's a lot of things that you knew just weren't good. So you just didn't even think about it because you're like, well, that it's just overpriced for what it is so yeah and, and you're very familiar with all the mechanics and like you know how it interacts exactly and so with, with it's all also these i find things. people like a meta starts to form what's good is kind of accepted as this is what's good what's bad is kind of accepted as this is what's bad people kind mm-hmm. of fall into that mentality and they don't explore as much because it's just like what's the point i already know what's good oh yeah absolutely um i, I think it was a, a couple weeks ago like i was talking with some of the playtesters and like i don't think that there was plenty of builds in eighth that that still could have been, you know, created. Like I think people, like the very tail end of eighth, I was running Dodger Avengers and Ajerman. Like that's just something unexplored. Unfortunately, I couldn't run into any tournaments. Mark Perry, who's uh, with me down here in Florida as part of our stream team, he's been running Emperor's Children for like the past three months. Just no one hears about it because we're not, um, we're not going to events. Right. Yeah. Yeah. COVID definitely eats into the. I would say like the kind of consensus that gets formed around. Yeah, it's hard to develop the meta when no one's playing. <laughs> yeah, because they're, I mean, it's all local, if anything, at best, really. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like the, the addition works as like a forced, like mold breaking. So everyone has to get out of their comfort zone a little bit, try a lot of stuff all at once. And then it'll be curious uh, with, you know, COVID still happening uh, and not too many events going on, like when and if it settles this year. Yeah, that's really yeah. interesting. But yeah. So let's talk about the armies on like a macro scale. Which armies do you think kind of got off easy or didn't really go up too much in points and end up in a stronger place than before? And which ones do you think got the nerf bat? Through these? <laughs> which ones got slammed? Uh, I mean, I think let's start with uh, let's start with bad news first, right? Let's talk about the ones that got slammed. Um, I mean, I think consensus is pretty clear at the moment like dark eldar got off pretty rough can we, can we get pause a minute and, and pour one out to the dark eldar players like what the hell guys <laughs> yeah yeah everyone's favorite nine point warrior uh you know it's there so i mean for the dark Eldar, it's not just that though like um, they almost their entire mm-hmm. regiment went up across the table and so did everyone's but it felt like there's one or so and especially a lot of their units were underpowered and they also went up so it's like why um, yeah to that end like how do you think dark Eldar players can adjust right now in the short term before they get their codex, of course. 
Uh, I mean, as far as like how they can adjust, I mean, you're, you're just going to have to start. I, I think something like Dark Eldar, if the faction got hit particularly hard, you're probably going to want to just like look for the most efficient choice uh, in like maybe a slot or two, and then probably start looking outside of your codex to fill the gaps. Uh, if everything in your army is, you know, a little too expensive or a little, uh, I guess, suboptimal, I would still leverage the fact that um, you you do have other, you know, Eldar to bring in to kind of supplement that. Can I just ask a question what you guys think of the Coven units? Because I feel like Prophets of Flesh is still going to be relevant. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, the Talos definitely, I mean, they got a token 15 points, just like pretty much everything the game did, so I don't feel bad about mm-hmm. that. Grotesque, you can still play them. I think 35 to 40 wasn't cheap but it was it's manageable because you're not taking yeah. them in like 20 grotesque you're taking like handful it's like okay right. I can live with that racks going up to 12 hurt that's uh that's a 33 percent increase 9 to 12 but i think yeah, you could definitely the run the covens and it, it could be the core to your army and not feel terrible or anything right yeah i think yeah I, I would agree with that and you know in a lot of ways um a lot of these units weren't in the best spot to start with so like the the point increase does hurt but they kind of from a competitive perspective i think a lot of them weren't considered anyway um you know like so like covens was a you know it's kind of been a staple of dark elder since they've come out uh, and i don't think that's really changed uh moving forward so it may have hurt the diversity a little bit but i think the core the core of like a dark elder army could still be there but that's good at least yeah, yeah. i mean you're gonna have to like you know try it out too some of it might be meta dependent whatever that ends up forming um you know the train rules will help uh in a certain certain extent to hide some of the more fragile units they're not very big either so you can kind of get several of them behind uh behind a lot of these obscuring ruins um i I actually think venoms are going to be very good in the new edition Mm -hmm. um because of their speed and their relative durability for their cost uh, and the fact that uh you need fast stuff that is a little bit durable to screen your characters now with the lookout sir rule. So I think venoms will be, will be good for that because they'll be able to reposition to where you need them, where you need your characters to stand. It's also like venoms with guys inside plus a character. Like that is three different layers of stuff you have to peel off to get an objective. Like if you fly a venom to an objective, your opponent has to open up your venom. Then has to kill the five warriors that fall out of it. Then he gets to shoot your character. It's assuming terrain and other stuff never gets in the way. So you right. can still play the progressive scoring missions very well. And they mm-hmm. open up plays for potentially getting uh, engaged on all fronts, the new basically recon secondary. Yeah. Uh, those kind, kind of, of a, tried, a tried and true secondary you can always get points off of. So, And they're yeah. definitely fast enough to leverage that. So, you know, but there will be, there will be options and, and avenues for them to play. Um, you know, once everything's out, people can start, you know, shaking through it and really getting a handle on it. But it, it's is there, there. Is there anything they can do? And I, I don't want to turn this into just a, a Dark Eldar chat, but mm-hmm. with the new reserve rules, is there anything cool they can do? Um, I will say, I do think a fire and fading Ravager that's inside a ruin that moves up, touches a wall, blasts something to death, and then backs up is going to be a pretty powerful piece, right? Um, and they'll have the CP to run it. Yeah, I yeah. have a whole theory about fire and fading fire prisons, but for Dark Elder <laughs> players still, Ravagers are definitely quite strong still. Yeah, I mean, you can you can cross-apply that to anything Eldar and fire and fade, I think. With a good fire support piece is going to, you know, essentially, uh, you know, like pull out like an old uh, like Tau JSJ thing from the past and just shoot and jump back pretty easily behind a obscuring ruin and 
continue on. Um, you showing so, your age there, Paul. Yeah, well, I mean, he introduced me as like an old person, so I might as well like, lean into it a little bit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, you're just as old, so it's okay. Six months older, actually. Yeah, I'm a boomer. Oh, no, I'm I'm the, I'm the boomer in this conversation. So. <laughs> But the good news is, the good news is, I'm less mature than both of you. So that that, no, that, that works. Yeah, yeah, it evens out. Also, yeah. a flat out lie. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else for the not to be the bearer of bad news, but we are starting with the bad here. Um, yeah, yeah. Who else is uh is down in the dumps about these points? You think? Uh, well, I would say orcs probably. Orcs got hit a little hard. Yeah, orcs, I think, well, they got hit the hardest by the new coherency rules and the new charge mechanics and all that stuff and the horde blast weapon rule. I think orcs really had that play style, like, identity, like, we are the horde army. And the Games Workshop is like, no more horde armies. So So, I I do have a question for you, Nick. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you think conceptually there's much of a difference between running, like, obviously the blast cutoff is 11, right? Yes. Uh, Do you think... Besides leveraging strats, if you want a horde army, is there that much difference between running only 30 mans or just breaking them all into tens? Well, I think like that, even... that really kind of leads into the point I was going to make. Is yeah. that the way hordes are going to have to be designed now is just X 10-man mm-hmm. squads instead of like 10 10 man squads is 100 orcs, 3 30-man orcs is 90 orcs. Right. So that's right. more or less the same amount of models. You're just doing it in various units but in the case of orcs it means you're not leveraging stratagems like green tide mm-hmm. uh leveraging warpath or jumping effectively uh fight twice of course so, so it's you're losing value there for stringing out to your own characters like one of the things that orcs did in general was like all their auras were like three inches right three inches it's like breaking heads is a three inch rule so you wanted to have like you know four five six orcs trailed back to your war boss so you could be fearless or you could get advanced in charge whatever it might be while the 20 other guys in your unit are punching the other dude in the face. With the 10-man and the new coherency rules, that's just no longer a concept. Granted, morale is definitely kinder to the hordes, but orcs already had so many ways to mm-hmm. get rid of morale, it didn't matter. So I'm really trying to just figure out what orc players can do to adapt their style. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, obviously, like, everything else in the addition... I mean, orcs, orcs currently have been a body horde, right? Like, they essentially are, like, body hordes backed up by you know, cheap guns, mech guns and things like that, or any sort of like broad shield units. Um, within the, within the scope of the addition, um, they can still put a lot of bodies on the table. So like kind of what we were talking about with dark Eldar, as far as, um, you know, getting a lot of like fast units to get over all over the board, get these secondary objectives and these primaries. I still think orcs can, can do that to a degree. I mean, they still have a ton of guys. Uh, yeah, I guess you can apply the same concept and just go to like tons of trucks with dudes in them. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's other there's fast things in orcs as well, and I think you can kind of reach back to that. Um, it would be a different look for them from what they've kind of been playing as. Uh, yeah, you know, and this really goes back to what you're saying. Like, you need to just approach it with a fresh set of eyes. What you used to do simply doesn't work anymore, at least in these cases. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure. Yeah, and, and some armies you can probably carry over without much issue. But yeah, like if if it appears like they're you know struggling uh i would you know just try try something a little bit out of out of the wheelhouse and see if that actually helps uh you know kind of win some of these games yeah and then metworks have like a very unexplored kind of mech work vibe to them they got a lot of support from their psychic awakening for like all of their weird buggy type creatures mm-hmm. um their burner bomb became amazing 
Smash the guns yeah. and those mech guns still aren't that pricey for what they are. Like I think yeah, they're severely undercosted, and now they're just like still probably undercosted. Yeah, um, I agree. Like I don't think they really got. I mean, like the points went up for sure, but it's not. It wasn't you know super rough for those units for mech guns. What, what about ten man grads though? I mean, them going to five hertz. Now I understand you don't want the baseline of the game to be I have a model cheaper than five points. I think that is clear between brimstones and grads, but five point mm-hmm. grads versus five point guardsmen. I know we're not doing the cross codex thing. Mm-hmm. We already kind of went through the whole yeah. card, uh, the identity of guard and grots are not the identity of works, but like what are orc players to do with ten five point grots? Uh so I, I mean I think they still they'll still fill that function of screening, of uh, you know, just like objective holding if you can put them behind some of these obscuring ruins, or you know, even even if they're not obscuring, they're pretty small, you can still kind of hide them in a lot of scenarios. Yeah. But like Honestly, they, you can hide grots behind anything. Yeah, like they're they're very easy to hide, um, and like that's I think that's a role they can fill fine. Like, will you run three hundred of them? Probably not. But like, I think um, one of the actually one of the unique things about orcs is like they will have a lot of units at this point, and I think they can really spread across the smaller board. Um, and Gross will help do that. I think they really help like shore up the backfield, and like no one really wants to you know, spend any time on them anyway. Yeah, shooting Gross is very unrewarding. Yeah. Orcs might have also the opportunity to make good use of the um, outflank rules. Like bringing, I think bringing a big unit of Ludas in and blowing something up um, could be good because then, especially because if you have them off the board, they can't be shot, right? And then they come yeah. on and they can come back and because they've got a long enough range and you have to jump. So right. you have a lot of options of bringing them in and getting to something that you want. Um, and you know also to that point like that the board is shorter so things like flash kits and tank busters which have struggled with range issues in the past being only 24 inch guns that's so much more powerful like i've been playing a lot of games linear tables 24 is all you really need and yeah, the fact I, that flash kits have a strat to go to 36 you're not hiding flash kits that's all that means yeah and like that's it's on like kind of slowish models too like anything fast with 24 doesn't have any issues whatsoever like you can definitely get across the board and reach and like the objectives and a lot of like there's no like there's not a lot of objectives that are hanging back either so like people have to come up and play around the middle i would say in a lot of scenarios so you know morks can can just brawl in the center with their relatively shorter range guns and not be at any sort of any sort of deficit really yeah well so i mean it just demonstrates like you know more of the more of the fertile ground to explore because we just don't know what's going to be good because we don't know what's going to come out of everything uh mm-hmm. <laughs> right so I'm really seeing that ninth edition is definitely the, a more um, rewarding to the MSU style approach instead of the to take 30 man units, put all your buffs into a kind of approach that eighth edition was very known for. Especially the fact that Killmore was a thing. So you put all your eggs in one basket and then make that basket super hard to kill. Your opponent can't really get kills, kill more, that, die secondaries, that kind of thing. None of that matters. Now you just need multiple units all over the board, especially so with the fact that only one unit, a unit can only be on one objective or hold one objective rather. Right, time. yeah, no, like, string a 30-man across the table. So that's just a different morality to think about. Yeah, and, you know, orcs are one of those armies that do have access to a lot of, a lot of you know, different units that could potentially play into that MSU style uh, and, you know, get all over the table. So it's just a different way to, you know, to look at it. And for our less experienced players, MSU refers to multiple small units, just, you know, that concept of having lots of small squads doing lots of stuff all over the place. Mm-hmm. So who else do you think 
Canik kind of came out this rough or needs to at least adapt their play style the most? Well, I think everybody has to adapt their play style a lot, but so yeah. I guess yeah. One, one I, I won't say they came out rough necessarily, but it's going to it's really going to force a change in play style. I think is Tau and the and the um, shield drone change going up. Uh, you know, five points a model. I'll be very curious. That's a great to see point. Fifteen I'll, point shield drones. I'll, I'll be very curious to see if you know Tau lists. We're actually you know. playing Tau uh, this week on stream on Friday. Uh, I'll be playing against Richard Siegler, who's kind of like the Tau guy. Um, yeah, yeah, and he's busting out the Tau Nar for me mm. because that thing is now the, under nine hundred points. The thanks, big tuna, thanks G Dubs. Yeah, I, I think big tuna um, gets shot in the face. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, I think models like that are, are kind of interesting because they're they're big, they shoot a lot, they're scary, but they're um like durability wise, not much different than a lot of other models that are almost half their cost in this game. So I'm always curious to see how those. Uh, That's true. Kind of end up. I mean, like yeah. it, it's essentially a knight without an involve. Like when well, I guess you're gonna buy it, but you know, well, it's gonna pop up. But yeah, 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 you end up buying. But you know, so it'll, it'll be, be interesting. interesting. I definitely think you you bring up a good point, and it's not it's not just the the shield drone change. That's definitely a large part of it. But Why? um, like things like commanders went up a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fly, fly, you can't fall back and shoot anymore. That's, yeah. I was actually shocked they did an FAQ, um, one of the stupid tile uh, signature systems or whatever to oh, like one, yeah. uh, make fall back and shoot. Yeah, I was shocked that didn't happen. But, you know, Tau not being able to fall back and shoot is going to fundamentally change that game because fun, like Tau at its core was an army that doesn't have oppressive firepower, contrary to popular belief, but mm-hmm. because you couldn't actually kill any of it, until all the drones are dead, which takes forever. You don't degrade their firepower. Like a normal army, they have a bunch of tanks. If when I shoot a tank, it dies, their firepower on next turn is less. Tau, right. I shoot a bunch of Tau, nothing happens, they shoot me back at the same volume. Now that I can shut them up by touching them in close combat, making them fall back, that's really just their entire style of play is, is 180, or it's going to have to. Yeah, so like they're, they're definitely up for like a, a pretty big shakeup in how the army ends up playing, I would think. So... There's a lot of. Um, I'll, I'll be curious to see what that what they're going to end up doing, um, especially with you know contesting a lot of those objectives. They're they're kind of up close and personal. Let's see how Tal end up doing that. Yeah, and I know I'm playing against Siegler a lot. Like he used those two man shield drone squads, which you can still take. It's just you'll take a lot less of them now mm-hmm. um, to get his board control. Go contest two objectives. Go hold two objectives. That kind of stuff. There's absolutely no world where two man drones survive the turn on an objective. So back in ITC land, you can just run up to an objective. I got hold, hold more bonus, and you killed two shield drones. Okay, good for you. Now it's right. like I ran to this objective and you have obsec on it, so I'm not contesting it. And I have to sit here through the whole turn to hold it. That's going to be tough. Yeah, it's, it is Give really a mentality shift for tap players. Just a couple of questions around that. Mm-hmm. Do you guys think that? Uh... The fact that they can shoot in combat makes up for the no fall. I mean, you don't get to shoot, choose what you shoot at, but at least even though you can't fall back and shoot, you still get to line your guns up and do some damage. It can. And I also, knowing, speaking to Siegler, he's planning on using a, a riptide to uh, Nova for the jump, shoot, jump thing, and then maybe mm-hmm. spending a command point to also get its gun to a better profile. So you have a, a fully functional offensive riptide jumping 
out of a ruin in the moon phase, blasting the crap out of stuff, jumping behind and making good use of the obscure rules since it's only 14 rounds. Oh, yeah, so sorry. that's not really going to help with the mission struggles, but it definitely is a way to keep your firepower up and intact without the shield drones. I mean, those crisis hit units can sit on objective, right? Though, I mean, they do have a big crisis suit unit that can put on an objective and pretty much count on being there in the next turn. It's really, they are good for that. They're not obsec, though. Um, right. And the bigger issue, I think, is that, that the crisis suit units, typically, if they're doing the board control, which is really what they're there for, is are going to be near your opponent, which means they're more likely to be charged. And if they're being charged, then they can't, they can't shoot in a combat. They can't fall back and shoot. That's huge points of your army just not doing that. Yeah, I mean, I think... As far as uh, the objective play, I think could be a, could be a definitely a big weakness for Tau moving forward. Um, just the way the missions are set up and the way that their mechanics interact, it's going to be it could be tough for them to uh, to really rack up those primary points. Um, I, they do. I mean, it's worth mentioning they do retain Overwatch, which I think is kind of like their big consolation prize this edition, uh, with it going away for pretty much everyone. Uh, yeah, do. I remember when, when I saw that, I was really upset, but having now seen how it all shakes out, it's, it's going to be okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's still a thing that they do very well, and it's very very unique, very talented. Uh, I'm sure people love it or hate it. It's a mix. Um, but yeah, I mean... <laughs> it depends yeah. on which side you're on. Yeah, love literally, are, you, are you shooting the Tau guns or not? Yeah, that's uh, that was a fun one. Yeah, I mean, Tau will be yeah very similar. Yeah, what other armies do you think have struggled at all, uh, or do you think we're starting to get more into the armies that are just changing their style? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I think one that pops out to me uh, probably Sisters. I don't, I don't know if it's going to be like a. I think this is kind of like a middle ground one, but the points increases generally hit Sisters in a lot of ways that. Um, like they, they were cheap and efficient. Now they're they're kind of expensive and still a little fragile moving forward. Uh, but they can still probably move into some sort of. I've been playing a lot of sisters myself, and um, I feel like the Seraphim and the Zephyrim, the Flying Girls, have gotten hit really hard. Um, so their whole stick was that they were cheap for what they did, and now they're just not cheap for what they do. Um, but I do think Battle Sisters, Celestians, Retributors, all of those Medium Sisters, I think they're priced fairly appropriately. Yeah, uh, I think when and how offensive. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, once you once you take a look at them compared to a lot of other uh, kind of things in their orbit, like they're still you know three up saves. They're still you still get quite a few of them, and they're fairly durable with some of the you know sub factions that they have, you know, ignoring AP. Minus one, minus two. They can still, you know, stick around a fair bit. Um, they just lost, I think, I, a I lot do of do worry that the army has lost a little bit of its dynamic. Uh, yeah, potentially. Yeah, I think I we're getting... I, I do worry... I mean, a lot of armies can try an, a version of a body horde. Um, they're all kind of the same when you get down to it. Uh, you know, the faster ones kind of give you a little bit more room to play in terms of the Zephyrim and Seraphim, so... Maybe room for a couple units, but not not nearly as many as there were before. Uh, but you know, yeah, I know some players took sixty. I just don't yeah, see yeah that. definitely, yeah, sixty was, you know, that was definitely a number you could see tossed around. The uh, the triumph got a little boost though, which is cool. I think with the FAQs coming out, 
I know a lot of people she were a little, did. Uh, a little salty about that initially. Yeah, that FAQ was super kind to her. Yeah, it's a she's really cool actually. Um, yeah, I'm kind of I'm glad that you know you get to use the terrain to you know, full advantage that model. But one of the one of the cool things from the FAQ is the the Triumph got a pretty nice boost with the the terrain change, accounting as nine wounds for being behind terrain. Um, yeah, that was a very pleasant surprise. I I did not expect that. I was kind of just checking the FAQs as a token. I didn't expect to see anything real shattering. But uh, having her count as nine wounds for the purposes of obscurement um very strong like like amazing big fan yeah yeah it'll definitely like i mean she's not she's like a giant walking buff buffet so i mean i've I've been using in the last two or three games i've been playing sisters with and she's an abstract model that i think a lot of players are kind of afraid to try i know i was at first because it's like do i want to pay almost 200 points for something that doesn't really do anything besides occasionally pump out some buffs but oh my god she's worth it she is she's amazing yeah, she's, I mean, she's definitely, like, she might be one of the weirdest models they've released in a long time, honestly, just from approaching yeah, it. But definitely. Uh, I think, yeah, besides, like, people liking the way it looked, initially when the Sisters book dropped last year, I think there was definitely some hesitation from the competitive community to, you know, pick her up right away. She just, um, she completely broke the mold, and not in, like, the, this breaks the mold, but it's obviously broken way. She's like, I, like, I don't have time to try this kind of thing. I'll look yeah. into it later. Yeah. It's just too weird to pick up immediately. <laughs> you just needed a whole edition to try it again. We needed six months of not having any events. <laughs> true, like really, really get your brain going locked up in uh, in Florida. It's true. <laughs> All right. Well, we've talked a lot about people that sort of came out in the wash, um, we would say a little behind the curve, or at least it's not obvious to us that they're going to be good in competitively speaking. I'm sure there'll be builds that people find that they can compete with because mm-hmm. That's the great thing about 40K. Let's talk about some fun stuff, dude. Let's talk about people that came out well, right? We could maybe start with Custodes. I feel like they did very well. Um, or somewhere else, wherever you guys want to go. What do you guys think? I think Custodes so, are a fine place to start. They didn't get go down and go up at all. In fact, they went down. What is going yeah. on here? Uh, yeah, I mean, Custodes are kind of interesting, right? Because I would think for most of most of eighth, like the a lot of the base Custodes were definitely expensive compared to almost anything else in the game um so like in this case like kind of no change while everyone went up like kind of bumped them more in line i would say uh so yeah i mean it's it's definitely put them closer in the pack essentially with all the other armies in the game uh that coupled with you know psychic awakening coming out they got a lot of cool things out of that book uh it definitely uh it definitely puts them into consideration i think uh, Nick, have you been have you been playing around with Custodes at all? I have not been playing with them at all. I've been playing against them a fair bit. Uh, they definitely got huge buffs here. Um, we're actually trying them out uh, tonight, I guess, by the time this airs for the Pop Patreon members, so Wednesday evening uh, in our war room. We'll be putting them against Death Guard, who I think is another strong army even after these uh, point changes. But mm-hmm. um, I think Custodes are in a great spot. They, I can't believe the Caladius went down. I'm, I'm glad the Terminators did just because they're cool and they really are representative of what Custody should do. But they have a very nice psychic awakening, and that coupled with points decreases in a lot of places, so just no significant points increases, uh, I think has really elevated them kind of to the top. I think they also, they're like a candidate for an army still that you can put something with them pretty easily if you want to. 
Uh, like he can use custodians to like, you know, hit pretty hard. And then you can find other armies to slap in there for more board control elements. Um, yeah. that's one area they could definitely struggle in, I think. Yeah, I think, I think so for sure. Like they have a lot of, they, they don't need a full custodians army, but you can run one if you want and it would be okay. It would definitely mm-hmm. be competitive. But if once you start bringing in like guard or something for some board control, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it'll be, I'll be very excited to see what people come up with with custodians. Uh, I mean, obviously Forge World is a pretty big part of their army with, you know, Cladiuses and Telemons. Um, and like, those are, you know, still good, still good for sure. I actually, one of my units I, I really like out of them are the, um, you know, the, the Sagittarium guard, the guys with the, the giant heavy bolters, basically. Every time no, someone that's... says them, I think of myself because I'm a Sagittarius. <laughs> Excellent. That's, that is so relevant, but I love <laughs> that's That's how you get good at 40 k You just, just go for it. I'm a Gemini. You just not so sequitter your way to it. Yeah, yeah. You just, just slip it in there. Sisters have a Gemini unit. It could be those. That's true. I, I just nerfed myself. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why do you like the Sagittarians? Uh, I like them because, you know, like, Custodes, like, the basic ones don't really do all that much. Like, they, they basically run places and stand there, right? Uh, the Sagittarians do that, except they shoot. They shoot with... Uh, you know, like nine like heavy bolter shots basically hitting on twos it's it's just like a, a more useful backfield unit uh than than what the basic guard offer i would say because like you're using terminators and a lot of other stuff if you want to get closer um so i i've thought they're really cool i haven't seen them a lot but i'll be curious to see if they, people uh yeah they're actually you know, i've never played against um so i i also kind of glossed over them when they got their new update but that might be something i have to revisit yeah i mean i i think they're pretty cool uh they they just do they do that like troop sectional differently for custodians than the other options. Well than the other option, I should say. Um but yeah, I think the uh they're definitely primed to to start off strong in the addition. Who else do you think is uh is gonna be a top competitor? So I mean, I'm sure like no one's surprised. Like I think Marines are gonna be in a good place starting off. Like I really don't think um I think they have a lot of, they have so many units and they have so many different, uh, you know, different ways to approach the game if they want to. I think they're going to, they're going to really hit it off strong. And the points increases, uh, I think some things got hit pretty hard, but a lot of the other ones I think are still very rock solid. Um, things like, uh, I actually like really like the new Eradicators. I don't know if people oh, have, yeah. it, have, have oh, been talking those. a big game about Eradicators. I'm very excited for them. Yeah, you can, you can just slam nine of those bad boys in there they're incredible uh eradicators are you know a plus unit to me um i'm actually a, a really big fan of inceptors uh, i think I've heard, I've heard people talk a big game about these inceptors with plasmas is that what you're going for uh you could do plasma i, I actually don't mind the bolter ones honestly i think they what is their almost now with the bolter they're 40 points. So like it's 40 points. They're T5 free wounds. They got six shots. They'll be AP2 for a good part of the game. I think they're they're just durable enough and annoying uh, with pretty good output. I've really liked them um, when I've looked at them at least. And then like when you combo that with things like the Eradicators, you do just have a lot of T5 wounds on the table. Yeah. Like it really ramps up. And then depending on the chapter you want to go, like, you know, there's feeling the pain involved. There's... Uh, yeah, you know, Iron Hands are they haven't gone anywhere. <laughs> no, I mean like yeah, I think I think 
units like that use feel my pain the absolute best and they're both like very good at what they're doing like lots of horde killing on the inceptors lots of tank killing on the eradicators so i think it's worth pointing out too that aggressors went up huge in points so you know inceptors sort of slide into that you know multi-wound durable unit uh for not too much um because they're they're quite a bit like aggressors went up a lot didn't they i was thinking that I can't remember what it was, but it seemed like it was. Aggressors went up to I think forty each, also something like that. Yeah, around around forty each. Um, I, I like aggressors a lot if your if your chapter specifically does a lot for them, like ultramarines or salamanders. I don't really care for them in any other chapter, though. Yeah, I think that's probably like a that's a good caveat for almost for most marine units, right? Like depending on the chapter you want to run, you're gonna you know mileage may vary, sort of thing. Um. But like you know, like Imperial Fist and Scepters using the exploding sixes sixes strat, uh, you know, with like chapter masters, that's a ton of hits all over oh, the place. Yeah. It's just like and you can a, actually go further because right now Vigilus still exists, so you can go uh you can make your they, and Inceptors are one of those weird units that also like interceptors can make use of uh Gray Shield, the Warlord trait. So mm-hmm. you can make them count as Crimson Fists while they're counting as Imperial Fists while you're using that stratagem. So with a chapter master, you basically have three six three hits additionally for every six year old I hit with four year olds. Yeah, no, it's I mean it really ramps up. And I think um like kind of generally speaking, it, it'll like if people do end up trying to go with these body spam versions of the list, having units like that to kind of like hedge your bets a bit will be fantastic. Definitely. Um, and like that coupled with like nine eradicators covers your entire tank, that's an interesting quarter of an army. A lot of T5, three wounds, just yep. whatever you need. Yeah, and like like I said, like they're they're durable. They don't like back to what we were talking about with the orcs as far as range. Twenty four gets you almost where you need to go at this point. Uh, so the eradicators, you know, aren't outranged too often. Um, if you saw the, so, uh, the stars of, FAQ, they they switched to ignoring advanced penalties too, which is pretty cool for eradicators. I did that, that was lovely. Gonna make yeah. it go back to yellow light scars. Mm-hmm. Wait, 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 wait. Can can you explain that to me again? Yeah, so bikes lost the ability to move and shoot heavy weapons without penalty. And then the entire Scars faction gained the ability to advance and shoot without suffering the minus one to hit. And White Scars also have a stratagem that allows you to advance and shoot heavy weapons and make them count as assault weapons. So then you're advancing and shooting your heavy weapon without suffering any penalties. Yeah, and both of these units we are just talking about are all assault weapons, so it slots in very nicely there. Yeah, I think scars are sort of a dark horse because I think uh, I've been telling Nick this; and he doesn't believe me, but I think assault interceptors in intercessors are very good for scars. But yeah, I uh, I don't disagree. I I really want to like them. Like, I really I I think you could probably run a unit. Um, John it, run fifty to sixty. Yeah, I think. I mean. That's that's goes back to some of those extremes, right? You can probably just slap bodies on the table. I I think that gets into like a matchup thing, uh, if it if it feels good or not at that point. But it would be interesting. I mean, you could definitely have done it with intercessors and like iron hands. You'd be curious if you want to go that route with scars just running across the table. But marines, yeah, like I mean, they have so many choices, so many different things to play with. Uh, you really you have a, a giant basket of things to pick from. Um, what even about the like, other, like, kind of lesser marine chapter? Not lesser, I don't use that word. Mm-hmm. But Space Wolves, Dark Angels, Blood Angels, those ones. How do you think they all fared? Uh, so my, my like general take on those guys is that if as long as the marine book is good, um, 
like these guys aren't far behind, right? Like the the Marine book essentially has like you know most of the stuff that like they all they all share those common units. Yeah, uh, and like if eradicators are good, they're going to be good in those armies too, for the most part. Uh, so that can kind of play across. Um, as far as like specific things in those armies, um, I do think things like Blood Angels, like with the uh, like Sanguinary Guard. Uh, screening is a little harder, I think, this edition actually, because you just I, take less stuff for screening. Yeah, yeah. there's less stuff for screening. Uh, it's more expensive, so you don't really want to as much. Um, and I think the game's going to trend fairly elite on release. Like, I think people will be trying out all the new tank rules, all the new monster rules. That's definitely what I've seen. Yeah. Yep. So it's going to trend heavily towards elite, and I think people will find by you know like turn three or four, there's a lot of gaps. There's a lot of gaps everywhere, actually. So. Any sort of unit like Blood Angels have that can like redeploy, get you know really nice thirty six charges, uh, they'll be you know kind of set up to exploit that kind of end game setup. Uh, and, and the holes will pop up earlier, earlier than later for sure. Yeah, even with a small board. While we're on the subject of elite armies kind of being the go to, um, I've been trying to think of what my Tyranids can do to adapt because I'm an avid Tyranid player as well and. Uh, they have gotten point types all over the place in the weirdest of places. What did the heartbeat ever do to you? What? What? Um, <laughs> it was old one eye. That guy. Old... Oh, he he, he but, damned uh, the whole faction. I do think that uh, there's a lot more space for things like zonethropes that do a mm-hmm. ton of mortal wounds because the game, at least I'm predicting it, to go more elite. And then also the shorter table helps the smites out. People will be condensing their armies more because their coherency rules will help out that mortal wound aura effect they have. I think mm-hmm. Zonthropes have a large amount of play. And then coupled with like terrain effects and pyrovores to uh, potentially clear the chaff so the Zonthropes actually hit home when they hit. Uh, they're easier to hide than ever. And you can just wait it out till you clear the chaff and then just destroy people with them. I think that's a very viable mid style. Yeah, I mean, I think Zonthropes popped up couple times throughout eighth right like really were experimented with a few times they didn't yeah. really, never really they, stuck yeah they never they was kind of just like a flash and they they bounced out um but eight was a fairly you know like body dense edition so i i would agree i mean i think if if things are getting a little bit more elite mortal wounds go up in value for sure uh and they do i mean they're fairly durable they can hide like you said so like i could definitely see that being a being an avenue to explore with, with nids um of course, you have your nine power force. What about Grey Knights? I feel like we, we have neglected Grey Knights in our talks since the Imperium. Oh, yeah. We're just a little dabble in Tyranids and then straight back out to the Imperium. Um, yeah, I mean, oh, Grey Knights... Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, Grey Knights... There's, I mean, I think they're still riding that, that wave of, you know, Psychic Awakening they got back last year. Like, that completely rejuvenated the book. Um, as far as like points hikes go, I don't think they got hit that bad actually. So I think they're, um, they're set up in a unique way. I think to play like all phases of the game where some armies aren't, uh, there's a lot of secondaries that are accessed by psychers. So if you have an army of psychers that can really leverage that, it's a new, you know, kind of like a different avenue to explore to get mission points. Yeah. The secondaries for psychers, if you have an ability to build towards that are actually quite doable. Yeah. Um, one of the, one of the things I do want to bring up and just just ask you guys about a little bit is a lot of those are like stand in the middle of the board, but I notice that there's no objectives in the middle of the board, so mm-hmm. it's kind of it's kind of at cross purpose to playing the primary. Um, at least that's what I found in my testing. 
I haven't noticed that. You are you aren't not wrong. Like there's never an objective in the center of the table except for in one mission, from what I've seen. Um yeah. that said, if you are pushing into your opponent's half the table to try to get board control for mission purposes in general, you kinda have in, it in the there. middle of the board is also just gonna come naturally. Yeah, and that's I think that's that kind of mirrors my experience as well. If you if you are pushing kind of into opponent territory, the middle is yours anyway, and you're already there. And you kind of want to be there actually to keep them from jumping to your objectives and to like push into their their area and grab theirs. So I think getting some of the some of the secondaries focused on the middle is is not too bad actually, or it doesn't feel like you're going out of your way necessarily to do it. Um, unless you get into like a matchup, I guess where you're like you're hiding on your side of the table and like really playing cagey. Now, I do think there are traps within which secondaries you take in relation to each other. Like, if you take engage in all fronts, which requires you to be in all the quarters but not in the middle, then taking secondaries that also you want you to be within six of the center is very counterintuitive to that. So you do want to be a little careful with that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, like, you, you kind of, I mean, much like your armies, right, you want your missions, the your mission secondaries to have some synergy as well. Like, you don't want to overextend yourself and then not be able to score these points or kind of be conflicting at what you're going for. So, you know, have a plan, execute it and it'll, uh, it'll come together. Hopefully that's the goal. That's the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Probably supposed to be more confident than hopefully, but you know, it'll get there. <laughs> what about, um, Eldar and, and their clown brethren? How do you think they, those fared? Eldar and the clown folk. Um, you know, I think, so like let's we'll start with Harlequins. I think they made out pretty well, actually. I'm um, painting Harlequins as we speak. Oh God! How do they, <laughs> how do those look? They're, I, I'm taking like four hours per Harlequin. These are like the best models I've ever painted in my life. Oh, excellent! Put Fate Weaver to shame. That's what I like to hear. We don't we don't have to bring him up on this call. It's okay. Um, but yeah, Harlequins. I think with the way the gear shuffled out, um, kind of how the the values worked out. It, it's kind of almost a wash depending how you were planning on running them uh, previously. So uh, I think they're primed to do some really cool things. Uh, they're super fast, small board. They can get around and, and really, you know, kind of get them wherever you need to really. So like, I really like them splashed in with, with Eldar. Uh, I think they kind of add a new dimension because I, I think Eldar ended up uh, being very gun heavy uh, with the changes like spears and guns essentially, which isn't too different from eighth. Um, so they had price hike. I'm surprised you're still all about the spears. Uh, it kind of canceled out. It wasn't that much of a hike, right? Because the uh, catap- the catapult came off. I actually I don't remember. I th- I think a full unit went from like two seventy to like three thirty. So something. Uh, like that. Yeah, maybe I'm misremembering then. I thought the I thought the price hike essentially canceled them out because I think they were. Yeah, I don't know. It it's. I think you could run a unit still because uh, they, I mean, they obviously have. But they also, they also got nerfed by the fly nerf as well. And the coherency rules aren't doing them any favors either because you don't want to yeah. run like a four and five man spear squad. You want to run like a nine. No, you, yeah, eight or nine. Uh, yeah, definitely. But like they still have strats as well to kind of help out with that. That's true. Um, I, get, I mean, especially that probably lends it more to like a single unit than multiples like in the past. Um, but I still think they, they can have some interesting, interesting values, interesting plays. I, I know Warwalkers and uh, Vipers got a lot of buffs. I mean, just moving and shooting no penalty was a huge buff for them. And Crystal Targeting Matrix got a very nice FAQ as well. Yeah, went from doing nothing to actually doing something now, which is cool. Um, yeah, <laughs> I think, <Yes. laughs> very cool. Uh, 
no i i do like those like those um those ended up still fairly cheap uh you can get a, a bunch of them on the table and they make really great use of all the new rules um warwalkers and vipers are both i think right into consideration now which uh is pretty new for them they haven't been there in a while uh especially vipers i mean vipers have definitely been living on the sidelines for years at this point um how yeah. did crystal targeting matrix change i guess i missed that just for our listeners so basically it's uh instead of letting you move and shoot without penalty when you shoot the closest target because all vehicles just do that now um it lets you advance and fire your heavy weapons and because you have battle focus in your eldar you can advance and fire no penalty it's very similar to white scars basically mm-hmm. yeah so just even more maneuverability on a lot of these guys yeah which could be very cool uh but yeah i mean i think eldar will remain uh pretty solid i think over the course of this like initial edition release i don't think they're i don't think they got hit like so hard that they can't uh that they can't compete um i think like a lot of other armies the units that were bad got worse uh and so like maybe a little hits of diversity but i still think they have they have some solid builds i'm still running my dire avengers and ajaman that's it's still going strong it's, it's literally undefeated. It's it's got another debut on Friday. It's gonna fight the Talnar. That might be too much for it, but yeah, we're gonna yeah, join yeah, it. It's undefeated because it hasn't it hasn't played the uh, the Inceptors yet. It hasn't played the Inceptors yet. <laughs> it haven't been shot by that many bolters in a while. Um, that'll be interesting to see how it goes against the Talnar. Probably not so bad actually. I'm not sure. Uh, Shoot we'll see. Uh, yeah. So check that game out on our Twitch channel. On Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, that's twitch.tv slash AOW40K. We do weekly games on there, uh, same time every week. Um, now that I'm done with my commercial, yeah, um, shouldn't we put a commercial in here somewhere? Yeah, let's take a break uh, to get a word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. Let's focus the discussion a little bit more around um, what our impression is on what is going to be good in ninth edition, regardless of points, right? So, can we talk a little bit about maybe? Wait, we have know, to finish chaos. We're not done yet. Oh, okay. Right, we can we talk, talk about chaos. chaos. We yeah, can't forget Fate Weaver. <laughs> All right. Well, what else does? But I haven't. All right. Well, let's let's talk about Fate Weaver and chaos. All right. How do you think Chaos came out overall? Like Thousand Suns, Chaos Marines, Demons, Death Guard, the whole shebang. Yeah. Um, so I think that like both the cult armies made out pretty well. Uh, Death Guard for sure, and uh, and Thousand Suns. I think both are are largely fine for what they've. Uh, now, Death Guard got hit by an interesting, I guess, lack of FAQ change. Now they can't cast Smite multiple times without it getting harder and harder. Same with Grey Knights. No, the um, Thousand Suns. Yeah, yeah, the Thousand Suns. I think that's a fairly significant nerf. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a significant nerf. Uh, but I feel like a, a lot of Thousand Suns too were kind of added in, right? So, like, I don't know how much pure 
pure smite spam was coming out at these at this point um but they still have a ton of other powers they can offer uh yeah they add a lot to chaos as a whole i would think yeah one thing Um, attachments did change though so it's a little harder to get the ones you want yeah Uh, instead of going for a thousand sun supreme command because that just doesn't really exist as much anymore and now it's just taking magnus um i've been taking a uh Word Bearer's Patrol, along with my Chaos, which is just a Terminator Sorcerer and Ten Cultists. And while it's not nearly as powerful or potent as the Thousand oh, Suns, what it does is it lets you auto-pass warp time whenever you want. That's really all that it needs to do. Yep, and shoot across the board like a rocket. And... Yeah, gives you warp time, gives you prescience. If it pinch, you can swap a power out for Death X, and then with your Word Bearer's Strat, you can just auto-pass even if you fail. Yeah, I mean, that gives a... Word bearer is a little little place in everyone's hearts. Finally, they've uh, they've been much maligned for a long time. I think. Uh, but back to Death Guard. Um, I think they were they were set up to be super strong. Uh, moving into ninth, uh, Psychic Awakening really did a lot for them. Oh, I had I had like a meltdown when I saw their Psychic Awakening. Yeah, I was like, this is just beyond. This is like Iron Hands, except it's stronger than Green. Um, their points have at least helped that. Yeah, I, mean, I think. I mean, they they weren't exempt from getting raised in points in any way, really. Like everything got got an increase of some kind. Um, but I, I, regardless of that, I think their rules are are just really good now, and they they have a lot of options. I think, like, just to be super obnoxious on the table, uh, they're hard to shift, hard to get to the things that actually uh, are. And doing that's that's part yeah. of what you need to do to be successful in ninth edition. So that's right. what makes it so. right it's not it's not just the fact that they're annoying and you can't kill them it's that they're getting all the points for doing it uh, along the way their natural strategy is very much rewarded in ninth edition Mm -hmm. yep and they should be able to take uh pretty good control of the board actually like as far as like establishing uh you know board control across the table they'll uh they'll definitely be ones to watch i think if you're playing chaos or if you you know if you lean to any sort of chaos you want, they're definitely uh, an army to look out for uh, and to potentially pick up. I actually just recently started a Death Guard army myself. So You've been um, starting uh, Death Guard army for four years. Uh-huh. I finally bought all this stuff, you know, like a few months ago. <laughs> so that counts. It's, things have primer on them. They're not, you know, painted, but they're getting there. They're moving along. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, uh, like I, said, I think, yeah, both the cold armies are, are pretty interesting. Uh, yeah. What about just like um, all those other side chapters, like World Eaters, Emperor's Children, Iron Warriors, mm-hmm. etc.? Uh, I mean, I think I think the core rules did help them. Uh, like a lot of those, I guess I would say like a lot of uh, like if you're playing like Iron Warriors and you are going like vehicle heavy or demon engine heavy or like anything like along those lines, I think the core rules really did like they did you a lot of favors. There weren't a lot of fly guns in uh and chaos marines so i think those are still an interesting addition um nick you've been talking about emperor's children for quite a bit uh what is what's the best part about that now the i haven't looked at the emperor's children points to be 100 percent honest with you but uh the emperor's children noise marines have been devastating i've been finding with uh the reroll to wound uh, in one of the battle rounds, because especially now that the game is so much faster paced with only five turns and you need to be active every time, you mm-hmm. can really call your shot with that relic a lot better. 
Um, and even if you are going second and you want to pop a turn one, pop it at the start of the first battle round. And when your opponent blows up all your noise marines, you just kill them anyway. Yeah, and just keep going, shooting back along the way. Yeah. Um, with them in plus one damage and plus one strength strat and those noise marines, you actually threaten vehicles like very well. It's, yeah. It's shocking. Um, that, of course, with vets. Um, I, watched, I watched a unit of noise marines, a full unit, uh, kill two. Uh, was shooting twice, killed two knights. That actually happened. <laughs> and it was not yeah. crazy. In the math, then, uh, I did the math. Yeah, after it happened, out. I did the math, and I was like, wait, this is not insane. This is actually oh, this is pretty, pretty close to average, which I was like, oh my god, are you serious? That's a, Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a lot of firepower they're packing. And they're, when a couple with Death Guard, and that's really what we've been doing, they're so difficult to deal with um, because you can't just charge them. Uh, if you're careful about your foul blight spawns placement, um, he has an aura of making you count as if you're not charging right. when you mm -hmm. go into them. So you charge into the noise marines, and they have always strikes first, and they just beat your face in after you charge them before you attack them. So it's it's a very hard unit to deal with. I've found. Um, so I'm very excited about the Empress yeah. Children. I had to check out how noise marines fared. I, I mean, I don't I don't think it was too bad. I think it was only a couple points, honestly. Yeah, that's uh, fine then. Yeah, like it, it wasn't anything super significant. Um, it wasn't Dark Eldar Warrior treatment? Not quite, no. I mean, Dark Eldar hate, you know, noise rains anyway. It lines up. They got the bad end of the stick. But yeah, I think, uh, I think Chaos, like, with all the, um, you know, detachment changes and less, less faction mixing or like the disincentive to do it. Uh, I still think they're coming out in a pretty good spot, actually. Uh, I think things like Death Guard uh, and those like just kind of single single focused detachments from the other chaos uh, other chaos armies really, you know, you can you can still mix them together without too much of a loss as far as CP or, or resources and get some pretty unique armies that are strong and you know really aren't like things we've seen previously. So I think they have a they have a lot to look forward to still. That's awesome. I think that pretty much covers all the main armies. I know we didn't touch on Admech, everybody, but mm -hmm. we are actually doing the entire second half of the episode on Admech because Mr. Tony Kopak, also known as Paul over here, um, is an avid Admech player, and I want to get his deep thoughts on those, so join us in part two for that. John, were there any other questions you wanted to ask Tony? Um, no, we can talk about Admech in the second edition. I, I just, just as a general... I wanted to ask Tony since he he is a playtester and he's probably played more ninth edition than any of us. What he think? What what core attributes are you looking for in your army? Like, what are you building your army around? What's the? You, you know, you understand what I'm saying? Like, is it? Yeah, yeah. Is it like? So yeah, what what is like the kind of like key features I'm looking for my armies to have? Yes. Um, for me, it's it's a. Uh, it's been board control. Like, I, I really think like you need to you need to control the field. You need. Um, I guess like my personal style is to do it with a bit of durability as well. So not, you know, a billion bodies just flinging them everywhere. But I, I would say, um, you know, durable, durable board control units that you can kind of use to, to swing around the table and establish control and then, you know, kind of pick sides uh, and start dominating the objective game that way. Um, so that's probably my the biggest feature that I would want. Um, the other thing I've been looking at is just making sure you have a couple units that could potentially use reserves uh, effectively, uh, either strategic or by their own means. Um, the boards are small, and there's not always enough space to hide. So I think being able to like preserve 
um, you know, like a, a pretty significant amount of like shooting or counterpunch or something like in your army is important or have the ability to do so. Uh, so it's not just kind of like everything's on the table. Uh, I hope you go for a service scenario. Um, so those are probably the two big things that I look for in my armies right now. Um, the other thing, uh, it's not like an army thing, but like, uh, units that can kind of take care of your characters. Uh, I think that's going to be a big shock to a lot of people. Oh, it's so uh, hard to I, get used to. The fact yeah, that my characters yeah. just aren't safe anymore. Yeah. The the moment that you like set up a bunch of characters next to a unit and that unit makes a charge and then next turn you're like, wow, all of my characters are dead. That was impressive. Uh, it, it's a shock when it happens. So finding units that can actually like reliably get, uh, I mean, army depending, but like your buff characters around the table or, you know, some of the damage dealing ones. Uh, that's a big change. And you definitely need to kind of think about it from an army construction perspective as well. Because uh, I don't think you can just throw everything on the table like you did before and just have them be safe. So uh, that makes a lot of sense. I, I've killed librarians and sorcerers with my exorcist. Oh, yeah. Like I, it's just silly. Not yeah, silly, but it's definitely a mentality shift. Oh yeah. Like I've. Uh, I mean, early on, play testing, we would do stuff. You know, we were like characters are still in the backfield holding objectives, and people are like, "Well, this uh, whirlwind Scorpius is going to blow that guy up," and you're like, "Oh shit." I, I definitely did that. I guess right. he is. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh yeah, he's he's just dead. Like that guy's not making it out alive. Um, it's definitely a big shift. Uh, something you gotta you know pay attention to. Bodyguard units are pretty cool now. I actually think that was kind of a neat repercussion of the. Uh, oh, that's a good point. Of the turn of the Celestians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think anything with a bodyguard rule was pretty. Uh, it was a pretty specific thing if you wanted it in the past or it was just like a nice bonus now i think it's something you would actually uh seek out right yeah potentially one yeah depending how your army goes or if it has the the units to protect stuff i've been playing a lot of games with um talent masters just Mm because i I like them uh and so i've actually been designing my list in ninth edition around keeping talent masters alive so I've been doing like weird stuff, like putting a, a relic Leviathan in with um, spell support to give him four up uh, versus mortal wounds, and then toughness nine, <laughs> just to <laughs> just to keep him in front of my characters and sort yeah. of be like this rock hard thing that I can count on being there the next turn. Like, right. you know, with duty eternal, nobody kills. That's that actually thing. very similar to how I used to use my Iron Hands written up back when I was doing the Iron Hands thing. So yeah, that's tried and true, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, and. Um, yeah, and I mean, uh, that guy didn't go up that much in points, right? Like the the relic Leviathan only went up thirty points, I think. So, which didn't yeah, didn't same feel with the Scorpius good. also was not hit as hard as I expected. Yeah, yeah. Scorpius is still good. Uh, we didn't touch on our Marines, but Scorpius good, Thunderfire less good. Um, definitely, uh, definitely an artillery piece that you can still include in your army, though. Very good to have around. Um, but yeah, that's also like part of those like that board control perspective is those tough units usually will protect your characters as well. Um, so it's nice to, nice to have all those available. Checks a lot of boxes at once. Man. I hope you guys enjoyed this wonderful episode on ninth edition points. I think it was a really cool one. Um, Right now in the war room, we're offering a special through the month of July in kind of celebration of 9th edition's release. When you sign up for the war room, which is where we teach all of our classes and have our coaches and do our weekly coaching games where you can see the custodians versus the, the death guard and so much more. 
Um, when you sign up for the room, you also will get a free personal call with any of our various coaches. So don't wait around so you can kind of get on that list and get a call sooner than later and figure out how your army supposed to play from professionals and uh, get access to the good stuff. So you know, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Art of War podcast. We've enjoyed doing this one. A special thanks to Tony for helping us break down those ninth edition points because, uh, as we said, we we're very interested in that. Uh, if you haven't joined our Patreon, you should really consider that. Uh, that's where our second episode will be, um, where we will get really deep into AdMech and talk about like where we expect them to be. Uh, we'll get Tony's perspective, being you know a playtester, he has uh, probably a little more ninth edition experience than any of the rest of us. That's so, where we can break all the NDA rules and find out the real good stuff. Yeah, put it behind a paywall. Really, yep. Sean. Yep, yep. Because then DW won't won't come see that, right? Uh, and then I guess the other the other thing I would point out is we have you know many 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 hours of content behind that paywall. I think there's 50, 60 hours worth of really in depth stuff where we talk to you know a lot of really experienced players who've done a lot of good things. So if you haven't done the Patreon, it's six dollars a month. I think it's a good investment. Um, but other than that, I hope you guys all have a wonderful day. And patrons, we'll see you in part two. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com. Where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect. connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.